0: Step on up, sit down, twist off that bottle top or crack open that can, and welcome to Porch Matters. This is Terry Cagle coming to you from my back porch. Yes sir, yes ma'am, the name of this show is authentic. On Porch Matters, our saying is this, big issues or just a friendly conversation, no topic is off limits. We take pride in being able to talk about anything with each other in an open discussion. Open discussion is one of the only ways to learn. Your perspective could be changed. You could change the perspective of others. Friends and family, welcome back to another episode of Porch Matters. As I sit here on the back porch, I've got two tiki torches going, just to try and keep all these bugs off of me. For some strange reason, they are already back and almost in full force. We've got James Spann on the TV with polygons everywhere, it seems like. There's been a lot of bad flooding. Just from what I've seen, exit 308 up on 65 in Coleman, that whole area right there was flooded out. You couldn't pass through it. People were having to detour around. There's been several tornadoes touched down as the rain is coming back. It's hitting this tin roof. It's sounding great. As I said in the last episode, I love storms, but I don't like it when People's houses are tore up and people are losing lives. If you're listening to this and you've been affected negatively by these storms, you are in my thoughts and you are in my prayers. If you are listening to this and you haven't, make sure you thank the good Lord above. Hug your kids, hug your significant others a little bit tighter tonight because there's some people that's been through these today that are not going to have that chance again. We've had some loss of life today. I don't know how to transition from that, but we're going to give it a shot. On this episode, I welcome a new friend of mine to the porch. His name is Steve Moon. He is a writer and an independent filmmaker. We talk about his new movie, which is out now. You can find it on Amazon or YouTube. It's called Out of the Fight. We talk about his journey to making the movie and future projects. We also talk about what it's like making movies in the current climate. Without further ado, let's get started. Steve Moon, welcome to The Porch, my friend. How are you doing tonight?
1: Man, I am blessed, brother. How are you doing? And I'm I'm on my back porch. I call this The Pit. You're at The Porch, I'm in The Pit.
0: I'm on my back porch as well, brother. This show, the name of this show is Authentic, just like I say in it. I record from my back porch.
1: Uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. I told my wife I've got to go take a call, and she says, where are you going, the pit? <laughs> where else am I going? I mean, right. the pit or my kayak?
0: Right. The only time I really ever have any issues is whenever, like two or three weeks ago, whenever the weather's like 19, 20 degrees and the wind's blowing. <laughs> other than that, I'm in pretty good shape.
1: That's when you build yourself a fireplace.
0: I'm going to have to.
1: <laughs> hey, if I could build it, anybody can build it. We built it, and now it's enclosed. Uh, so we're out here. My mom is always like, why do y'all never go in the den to watch TV? Winter, all winter long, I'll build a fire in here. I enclose the porch and um, or the pit, and it stays 65 degrees out here in the wintertime. So we watch TV out here, listen to music. I cook out on my grill.
0: Ain't nothing wrong with that. <laughs> no, about, about 15 or 20 yards in front of me, I've got a little lean-to and everything built that I keep my lawnmower and everything else up under. Gotcha. Well, I'm fixing to tear it down. And I'm going to rebuild it. And I'm going to build it bigger. I'm going to have me a fire pit in there, and I'm going to have some. I'm yeah. I, I'm I'm going to do it upright. And I'm probably um, I'm probably going to move from the porch out to the <laughs> patio. I'm not going to change the name to Patio Matters because that just. No,
1: but. it matters.
0: Yeah, the only issue that I'll run into is you know internet issues because with COVID and everything else, I'm having to do my interviews via Zoom so i
1: know what but that's that's you know nothing wrong with that and also we have an extension out here i don't know what it's called my wife knows more about technology than i do and we don't really know that much but we have two uh extenders or whatever once for like upstairs and once for outside so we get a longer range
0: i heard that i'm gonna have to look into that because where where the router and everything is it's about 15 feet from me so that's why i was able to
1: Okay, That's cool. That's
0: why I'm able to have a decent signal and everything, brother. I just watched your movie. It's part of the reason why we're so late getting started. It was very, very powerful. Just let's just jump right into it, my friend. What got you into making movies? How, how was your? What was your start in making movies?
1: All right. So the long story short, I'll try to do this as short as I can. The long story short is um, I'm I'm remarried. I have to throw that in there. So my ex-wife back in the the day, um, when I was married to her, I was writing and I graduated from college. I went to UAB here in Birmingham and didn't really know what I wanted to do. But I knew I was a good writer and I kind of wanted to go into advertising. But, you know, I'm not, I guess what you call a corporate climber. I like being me, I like doing my thing. As long as I can provide for my family, that that's my goal. As long, all right, I'm gonna backtrack a little bit more. When I was 19, I've been saved. I'm a Christian, I was saved at an early age. By the time I was 19 in college, I realized God's called me for something bigger. It's either gonna be a preacher or a youth director or something, and I always kind of fought that. I always kind feel of like, I don't know what it is I wanna do, but I knew I just didn't fit in in college. I, it took me, I was always smart. I got a scholarship my freshman year, but I didn't know how to study, so I lost my scholarship and came home, and I just, I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I got into advertising, trying to write commercials, and everybody said, hey, you're, you're a good copywriter, you're a good writer, you could do that, but at that time, copywriting was on the decline, because everybody, if you were a salesperson, you wrote your own commercials, etc., etc., so long story short, as I started writing, and writing, and writing, and writing, I love writing, I, I wrote when I was in elementary school, I had a poetry book out, and so I wrote a screenplay, and I had about nine different agencies in Los Angeles and I was pitching it to them and they were like well we'll take your work but we can't guarantee it it's not going to necessarily get produced so then in 97 a movie called Firestorm starring Howie Long came out and it was about smoke jumpers Love that I mean, movie i was like hey, that, all right that's my movie i got really so but yeah that, all right so that's part of the story is as I start watching the previews and I tell my ex, that's why I said ex back then, is as I tell her, I said, that's 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 my script. Although mine was an homage to the first recorded smoke jumper that recorded, or the first recorded backfire that a smoke jumper did back in the fifties. And that was Howie Long's dad. So if you see the photograph in the movie, they didn't really justify what was that about, but it was really his dad said the first backfire, which is how they fight fires now. So I went to go see it. I was like, yeah, that's our movie. They changed it. Mine was a drama. They didn't direct it the way I would have. But it was they used some of the nicknames, and pretty much the whole story was mine. So uh, I called Writers Guild, and they said, well, who are you going to sue? Are you going to sue one of the nine agencies? How do you know which agency it's going to be? And, and how do you know it's not the disgruntled employee that took your script and pitched it themselves? So there was no way I could sue them. So fast forward two more years. I meet up with Kimberly Pierce uh, on a phone call, the director of Boys Don't Cry. And I'm like, do you have any advice on how to do this on an independent level? And uh, basically, she said, find people that own gear, equipment, that want to trade and horse trade. You know, find somebody with a camera that wants to be in your movie. So uh, I made my first movie in 2000. It's a terrible movie called Under the Sidewalk Moon, but it was my first. And uh, I got recognized by the liaison of the New York International Film Festival, who's from Tuscaloosa. Found me online, didn't know there was anybody in Alabama making movies. So then, long story to finish that story, is I started doing my own independent movies, started connecting with people out in Los Angeles, and I became good friends with a producer out there. So he and I have been friends like brothers for the past 14 years. And then we met in Alabama on the first big movie that I worked on. He calls me, my last name is Moon, he's like, Moon, can you work as a prop master on a Nicolas Cage film? I'm like, yeah! So I go to absolutely. Why? couldn't you? Know, walk, probably, walk yeah, why not? And I probably bombed that movie as a prop master as bad as I bombed directing my first movie. <laughs> but he gave me second, third chances over and over, and then I learned just you know kind of what I was doing wrong uh, as a filmmaker and just tips because it's all art, but it's also a business. And uh, so then uh, I just stayed in it and started working on sets with people like Travolta and, and Bruce Willis. Not that I'm dropping names. I'm just saying bigger shows. We call them shows, not movies. So I was on bigger shows and just learning. And then after that, I went back into directing, but still working on these other shows part time on set. And then that's, how I, that's, that's how I did it. But I knew right away when Firestorm came out and I just knew that comfort zone that I was in is God's like you're successful in the corporate world, but you're not really you're not really happy. And it's not for you. And you can feel that in your spirit. Man, that's right. not what you're supposed to be doing. So um, I just felt always, that, and my uncle's a writer. He was a speechwriter for Nixon. So I kind of got his writing gift. That's my mom's only brother. So, you know, it's, and my mom writes also. So I, that's that's where that came from.
0: Well, you mentioned it on your first one, and you're saying that it was a bad outing or whatever. If you could go back now and redo it, what would you do different?
1: redoing it at at this age or 20 years ago
0: (laughs) knowing then what you know now what would you do different
1: uh i would stick entirely to the script and not try to deviate from it just so you can uh, we call it make your days you know uh, your days i mean you shoot everything that you're supposed to you know work on a tighter schedule uh but again stay with the script you know don't just finish a movie to say hey i finished it and that's what i was trying to do is Hey, I got my first movie done, and then when you watch it, you're like this doesn't make any sense. There's no cohesion, but and they got better. But yeah, looking back now, it's all in the editing. Uh, I would not edit it myself. I would let an editor, a director, can direct anything. But when you edit it, that's where the story is told because it's reactions and and just different shots, establishing shots, and stuff that I didn't know back then.
0: On top of that, we're always our own worst critics as well.
1: So. You got that so right.
0: Now I. It's, I go back and listen to this. I'm an old athlete, so I do editing. I, I do it all myself. So whenever I hear myself back, I'm like, God. <laughs> <You
1: know? laughs> oh, I'm glad you one, did.
0: Of my, one of my friends said, You go from zero to cornbread in a heartbeat. So that's always something that sticks out. I, I'm from Alabama. I'm from Walker County. I sound the way I sound, and it is Ain't what it is.
1: Nothing but, wrong with that.
0: But yeah, you know, I, I can definitely understand that being as like I said, we're we're always our own worst critic. So as far as after you had your first one done, you worked with Nicolas Cage, how did this passion project come about?
1: All right. So yeah, all right. So Nicolas Cage was uh I guess maybe eight years ago, seven years ago. And again, just kind of learning on set, because let I'll be clear, I didn't direct that one, I was just on the set as the prop master. But right. I and I learned and I'm seeing you know what, they're really taking the same shortcuts on multi-million dollar films as low budget films. It's the same thing. So I learned I'm not really doing anything wrong because we're taking those same shortcuts. And it's nothing that's gonna take away from the film or anything like that. But it's it's like on oh, let's let's say it's a it's a three million dollar film. You're still gonna knock on the door and say, Hey, we need a location, we need to film inside a house. Can we use your house? And it's a five thousand dollar movie that like a lot of locals do. Knocking on the same door, asking. So I'm learning. Wow, I'm really kind of doing what they're doing. They just have bigger money with bigger crew, and I'm the one-man crew. So, while I was learning all that, I was like, I'm gonna associate myself with people that are like-minded and have experience. But I have to ask you a question. I forgot where I was going with that. What, what was your question? I went from Nicholas Cage to what? How uh, did to this? Point. How did
0: you go from working props and everything with Nicholas Cage to doing your passion project that we're fixing to talk about?
1: All right, so yeah, so I went from working with Nick's Cage, got some good set experience, and there's a guy, he's a producer and director, I'm going to go ahead and say his name, Jeffrey Patterson. He's from Guntersville, but Patterson is like out in L.A. He's been in L.A. for 13 or 14 years, but he's back in Nashville, Tennessee now. He's a good old boy at heart anyway. So Patterson knew that I was doing films, and he's like, hey, can you help me? I'm shooting a film with Judy Norton. That's where I'm going to come back to. So Judy Norton, uh, and then he was working with the guy from Titanic, Billy Zane and play the bad guy. And I'm like, sure, yeah, I can help you. So he didn't really have a spot for me, but he knew I knew film and a little bit of everything. So I went up there for about a month, helped him out on his movie, got him a couple of things that he needed. But I met Judy Norton. We became friends. She played Mary Ellen in the Waltons. So Judy and I became uh, good friends. And we uh, over the next couple of years, she was writing a TV series that I think was in Canada for about a year. Uh, or maybe it was online for about one season. So I was helping her write that. And then I told her I want to write a movie about depression because I suffer from depression. Uh, I will say this, I'm not military or former military. My dad is, and I've had suicide in my family. My sister lost her husband in 04, which else also when my divorce was, uh, my divorce was so incredibly bad. I will say this right here. I didn't want the divorce. That's uh, cause I don't want to get personal, but I have two daughters and they're now 24 and 20. And since 04, I've seen them maybe 300 days total. And I love kids. I love being a dad. That's why I coach. I coached for almost 20 years basketball for my community, you know, uh, two different groups, but, but I love it. So all that said, I mean, let me, let me think where I was going with that. Because also I had, I had a stroke four years ago, so sometimes I forget. Um, I have a short-term memory, so I forget things. Hold on, and I'll come back to it. All right, so with uh, Judy Norris, I wanted to write one about depression because I was suffering, debilitating. I mean, I I got remarried. I got on my knees. I prayed for just somebody in a former life. I do not want to date or anything. And i meet Renee that I I had a crush on her when I was playing Little League Baseball. Her brother was on my team, and we were both pitchers because our dads were coaches. And I'd be like, hey, Moose, when is your sister coming to the next ball game? So I ran into her again. Our kids are the same age. And so we we got married six months after that. So all that said is I'm spending – uh, cause I was laid off from my last corporate job. I was working marketing. This was in 08 when the economy tanked and I just couldn't find anything. Nobody was hiring and I still wanted to get into movies full time. And so I was literally, she would get up and go to work. She cleans houses for a living. So she's her own boss. She'd get up, go to work. I get up with her. She goes to work. I get on the couch. I don't wake up till I hear the car door slam and I go unload the dishwasher. I'm not lazy biased, long shot, but I'm just suffering from depression because she's got kids and they live with her. I've got two daughters that are by the crow flies, as the crow flies, three miles, and I can't even see them. And every time I go to court, oh, he can see them whenever he wants to, but then I don't get to in real life. And it's just the lies and you're constantly losing. And when you have truth and right on your side and you still lose that is where the depression comes from. So I wanted to write one called The Other Parent, which I did. And it was about the other parent, the divorced dad, the one that's the non-custodial. Right. And I was like, you know what? This is self-serving. It's not about me. This is about depression. And then I have so many friends that are military that I went to high school with. And they were like, look, this is a serious thing. And I was like, you know what? It is It is a serious. Because, I mean, three times I've wanted to do away with, with it. I wouldn't go through with it. But. I've been there. And so I started writing about that. So I got with Judy and I said, Judy, you want to help me write this movie about uh veteran suicide? So we met with all the groups, the Mission 22s the We Are the Mighty, we've uh taps all these groups and we're like, We want to tell your story. We don't want to tell a Hollywood movie. We want to tell your story. So we met with these families, and I was posting online, if you've lost a loved one to veteran suicide, please contact me. So we're making phone calls to people all over the country. We're talking to people in um, Colorado. Actually, her husband was the inspiration for the movie. There's a girl named, uh, uh, I guess I can say her name, Leanna Lewis. She lost her husband to it, but she to me for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I discovered everybody's telling the same story, that it's not one single incident it's just the adjustment to life. So um, so that's how we got started. And uh, then it took us three years to raise the money, but we got it from a Marine. I can't call him a retired Marine, but he's my age. He's no, he's still a Marine, but you're never a retired Marine. And uh, so his son is in the movie. His son was the one that played the guitar in the band, uh, playing the music um, on stage. Right. But anyway, that answer your question, that, that's how I got into that.
0: Just to jump right on into the movie, I thought that Sergeant Jason was just spot on, man. And I, one thing that I really wanted to, couldn't necessarily pinpoint, but was his depression and everything, guilt from being injured and not being able to be around his men, feeling a loss of identity because he was coming from being in the Army to being a civilian, or was it a combination?
1: It was the combination, and I never really wanted to get specific with that. Right. And and we had to really go back with the families because, again, they would say it's not one particular thing that caused the depression. It's also not one particular thing that he can't pinpoint in his head what it is. He just knows that his job every day is, is, is to survive, kill bad guys, yeah, obviously, but you know that when you go into it, but it's also your job is to see what America isn't. America, I go to the grocery store, I have everything in the world that I want. There's not any given, unless they're out of something, but oh my soul, is that gonna put me out of commission for a week because they don't have the kind of bread I like? But then he goes overseas and and there were some scenes that we didn't shoot that regretfully I wish that we did because it would have kind of answered your question a little bit better because there were some things in the original script that he saw, one being a little five-year-old girl that was in the village uh, and and more Judy and I talked about it, we're like, okay, that's going to be kind of Hollywood, especially when we bring it full circle at the end, and he sees this girl again. What's the coincidence that when he goes back for his third or fourth tour that he happens to see this girl again? I thought that was a little far-fetched, really? uh, but that would have explained it a little bit better. But no, it's just he, he couldn't relate to anything.
0: He did mention the little girl in one of his, whenever he was, lack of better words, venting. Yes so I remember that part of definitely about it and I, I just the reason why I was asking is because I've seen bits and pieces of everything that okay. I, as far as what could possibly trigger it i I'm not military by any means but I did serve as a corrections officer so
1: awesome. you know, you.
0: i've I don't have the firsthand experience from a military perspective but I can one of the reasons why I said it was powerful is I could see some connections from the law enforcement side. as sure. Well, so. well
1: it's, that's your world. You, you, can't, you can't live, I don't know if you're married, but you can't live in your household with your wife and your kids and have them remotely relate to what you do from nine to five. Nine to five. Right. It's a different world. Right. And how do you separate that when you get home? Because so much of what makes us is what we do for a living.
0: Yeah. I'm not a corrections officer anymore. I drive a truck, but there was a lot of times where I only worked 20 minutes from the house, but I would literally have to, I did crazy things like take the uniform shirt off whenever I was in between the doors. It didn't mean anything other than I'm, it's me trying to leave the job at the job. I'd go to the park and walk with earbuds in listening to music or podcasts I would go to restaurants, pop earbuds in, and just sit there and people watch, just trying to be by myself. I did different things like that in order to not bring it home. And it's almost
1: a detoxifying yes. thing that you have
0: to do. Absolutely, you know, I I would. It was almost. I don't know if you're a professional wrestling fan, but in a sense, I see it. It's almost as in you had to kind of develop an alter ego to a degree. You know, Terry's a nice guy that always tries to get along and, you know, easy going. I've even been called a teddy bear a time or two. Officer Cagle, not so much, you know, and whenever, when I got out of that job, I almost went through an identity crisis. It was like I had to, sometimes ask my best friends, if you had to describe me to anybody else how would you do it because i had almost lost myself in that job because it's very easy to do so whenever i saw your movie i was like wow i can almost relate to a degree on what your character was going through
1: i'm glad you said that yeah (laughs) wow that's that that it's just humbling because I mean that's that's what you go for as a filmmaker is you want to make something that somebody can relate to. And in something like this, there were no corners that I could cut in, in developing the story and directing it because if you went too far Hollywood with it, um, because my, my distributors that purchased the film from us, originally they wanted us to add, you know, this or add that. And I'm like, if we had a scene where let's go back to the original script. All right, this five-year-old girl that's in Afghanistan that he relates to. But then you have two alternate versions for the ending. Well, let's have – this is what Hollywood wants. And I'm like, I can't do this. But the distributors say, well, I think it needs to come full circle. When he goes back to Afghanistan, he sees the girl, but the bad guys are on to him, so they send the girl in with a bomb strapped to her. And he has to defuse the bomb or he has to shoot the girl before the bomb or the girl walks with the bomb tra- strapped to her to their um, unit. That's Hollywood. That doesn't happen. I mean, sure, it does happen, but it doesn't happen that often. That's Hollywood. And the remote chances that it would happen to this character, it doesn't work that way. What we learned is the, and then this is my wife Renee, even though she didn't know how to deal with my depression, you know, as a counselor, not a counselor or anything, be there. That was the bottom line from everybody. And especially, I don't even know if you're married, don't answer the question. But if your <laughs> wife is just, yeah, because you're asking the question, it's not me. But your, your wife is your, is your support. And, you know, I don't have to know what you went through with that sale, if it was a strip search or the contraband or whatever. You have to leave that there. I understand you can't leave it there, but I'm here for you to get through how you need to get through it. And then, uh, and, that, and that's what we had to do. And it was just interviewing all these families. It was like, we just have to be there for them. We have to be. And a lot of them, of course, they missed the signs. One poor mom lost, and we left this out. <coughs> she's in Santa Clarita, California. She lost both of her sons to veteran suicide two years apart. And she's like, you, you think you can see the signs, but when they, even when they fake it, they fake it so well that, Okay, wow! I didn't see that coming. You know, I saw my first one. I you'd think I'd see it in the second guy, but, but her second son, but she didn't. So my heart goes out to her.
0: Sometimes it, it's one of those just snap triggers, kind of like how you showed your character Barry. Now, I'm not trying to give out any spoilers or anything. No, no, no. You you could sorta see it coming, but it's that sudden. It is sudden thing, and. Even a lot of statistics and everything show that, and that's the scary part.
1: Because people have a breaking point, and you don't know what that trigger is. Even if you see the depression, you don't see the trigger.
0: It could be that weight that's suspended from that rope, and that rope has just been holding that for forever, and it's starting to break, and it's starting to break, and then it dwindles down to one little piece, and then all of a sudden a feather comes out of nowhere, and lands on that weight just right. That was just yep. enough to get it to pop.
1: And it's never hate, and it's never self-hate. It's just what I've learned. It's still learning. It's just goes back to like my depression. It's just an emptiness, and it's like, <laughs> you know, when, when you're like me as a parent, as a coach and all this, my life, I love serving. I will serve God. I will serve people until I don't have anything left in me. Amen. And when you're in the service, there's – you feel And thank you for being a truck driver. My dad's retired. Um, he wasn't a driver, but he worked in the office. He did the bills for yellow freight. So um, trucking in that industry is, you know, the whole freight industry. That's what keeps America going. So, yes, thank absolutely. you for
0: that. Thank, thank uh, you.
1: Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, it's it just, you know, there's, there's that trigger point. And, again, with Barry's character, um, and I'm trying to without saying too much here, uh, with Barry's character, like you said, you, you do identify on some things, and if you're watching it, you probably lean more towards what you're thinking about Barry, probably more so than Jason, uh, than Sergeant Pate. Uh, but you can still see it in both. You just had to figure out, okay, is Jason going to be, is it is going to, all right, anyway, there we go. We'll leave it at that.
0: I'm trying my best not to spoil it. I, I really am. <laughs> but I, after I watched it, I, I, that's why I was saying starting it off. I was a little bit late for those who are listening to us. I was a little bit late signing in because I had just finished the movie. And I'll be honest with you. I am still jacked up about it. I can't recommend this movie enough. It's only thing you got to do is go on to Amazon prime and type in out of the fight. If you're already paying for Amazon prime for a subscription service, it's not going to cost you anything extra to sit there and watch it. If you sit there and watch it, you will be entertained and it will definitely give you something to think about.
1: Thank you for that. Yes, please watch it. It's on YouTube and some other outlets. I wish I remembered those. Yes, sir. But yeah, so making it, I will say this. Let's go into the little bit of the making of the movie, making the movie. I've got a uh, partner that works out of India and he does visual effects. He's a v- VFX supervisor. A lot of his people have done movies like Lord of the Rings, 2012, the big budget films. But I've known him also for years because everybody kind of knows everybody. You'd be surprised how small the industry really is. And so um, he's like, I'll do your VFX for you. So when you see the opening scene, those mountains, uh, we filmed that in Birmingham. That's not Afghanistan. <laughs> so uh, that uh, the background of everything in the opening you see is Afghanistan. The one thing I do regret, though, and we really just ran out of time on this, is because we were – it's called a meeting your deliverables. You have a deliverable date to the distributor. And so when they're on the side walking this way and the lead guy's talking about his wife and he can't wait to get home and you see the mountains in the background, we were supposed to take those mountains out and put in an Afghanistan range. And we just literally didn't have the time to do that. So that was fun. But all of the battle scenes were from a group aside from Pate, all of the battle scenes were combat veterans from Mississippi. Christopher Heskey is a buddy of mine in Mississippi And he hooked me up with the guy that did the score. I have to shout out his name. The guy that did the score was Rocky Gray, the drummer from Evanescence. Uh, He did a great job on the score, especially the ending scene. I really loved. I really enjoyed the the
0: music. It really was good.
1: I'm glad you said that. But these guys that did the battle scenes, I didn't even direct those um, for two reasons. One, I have a hernia. And that day that we were supposed to be filming all the battle scenes, and it had kind of ruptured or something, so I couldn't walk. I had to lay down the whole time and look at the monitors at Video Village, and I was just laying out this in the middle of this um, rock quarry. So my director of photography directed the shots, but the whole time I was like, I'm not going to direct these scenes anyway. We had a uh, liaison that was in the military. And he was in Mississippi, but he was in Afghanistan two or three times. And we're like, look, whatever you guys did over there, I can't improve on that. I was never there. Right. Uh, so you're directing all of the battle scenes. So every battle scene that you saw was a hundred percent, unless he's lying to me, which he wasn't. Um, I hope not. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I'll finish. Every, that wasn't Chris Hensky either. So Chris, if you're listening to this, don't tell your boy that he might have been lying to me. But. <laughs> but but all the veterans, I mean, apparently, I mean, that's what really happened. And the, the language and the dialogue and the shooting and everything, all I had to do was just watch and say action and cut. Uh, everything that you saw was authentic. The only critic that I've had, um, it wasn't even a critic, but it was somebody online that reviews movies. They were saying the battle scenes, they should have been louder. The guns should have been louder. And he said something like, I probably didn't have the budget for that. But that's done in post-production. I mean, that's easy. I can download for free sun, sounds of guns. But what we wanted was what Michael Mann did. Michael Mann and the movie, <laughs> he directed Heat um, back in the 90s. He did all live audio for that scene where they were shown over here. I saw the movie. Oh yeah. have a battle scene outside downtown. Oh, yeah. All that is real. That's not post at all. They had microphones everywhere because Michael Mann wanted the sound of the guns and the ammunition through those buildings, echoing. So what we had is my uh, armorer, a uh, great guy. His name's Eric Petway. i say ha- shout to you and Adrian. Um, is he would put half loads or quarter loads or something inside the guns so that you could hear what they really sounded like. So that's the only reason why I didn't do that. Is yeah, in post I can make this as loud as you want, but I want you know, the way we shot it, kind of documentary-ish. Uh, I just wanted you to feel like you were in there, and if they were louder gun echoes and gunfires. I just feel like that would have
0: been more Hollywood. Well, to me, that's being a little bit nitpicky <laughs> yes. uh, to you to use a Southern phrase. <laughs>
1: that's, oh man. I, I like mean,
0: it. that's, that's not even worth criticizing really. I mean, that's just my opinion. I'm just a humble truck driver. What do I know? But <laughs> you know, I mean, that's like some of these cooking shows are like, oh, it's just a touch too salty. Really? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Where are you from? (laughs) (laughs) One thing I'll say, and I'll hush after this, is uh, Chris Mullenix. He also was pivotal in um, helping me get this movie made. He was uh, Sergeant Randy, no, not Randy Payne. He was uh, Randy Mitchell. He was Sergeant Mitchell. He was the older guy my age, Um, but he was his mentor. And man, Chris is a great little actor, and he's from here. He's he's a local guy. He I met him when we did a a Travolta movie about dirt track race car driving. Chris Malnax owns dirt track race cars and hooked him up with Travolta. I didn't. My buddy hooked him up with uh, Travolta for the show and he provided a bunch of cars for it. And I'm like, look, I've got a great movie idea, a script. I would love for you to play the mentor to the main character. And it turns out that the next movie that Chris Malnax was in is how we met the actor, um, Randy Wayne, that plays Sergeant Pate, he really? was in. We were shooting in Tuscaloosa, and I was talking. I was a prop master, and I was talking to my prop assistant. I was like, brianna that's Sergeant Pate," and she said, "Yes, it is." So after their movie was through, because you don't really talk about your own projects when you're on somebody else's, but right. when we had the chance, uh, I talked to him about it. And he said, "Yeah, I'd like, to, I'd, I'd like to read it." And when he uh, knew that Chris Molnix was in it, <clears throat> playing the mentor, he's like, "Yeah, I'd love to work with Chris again." So if it hadn't been for that other movie, I would have met the guy that played the main character. And it turns out that we have a mutual friend, my producer friend in LA worked with Randy Wayne a few years ago on another movie. So it's just a small circle.
0: Well, you brought up some interesting things. And (laughs) one thing that I would really like to delve in just a little bit is talking about how you're doing the smaller independent movies and how exactly Is that growing due to the fact that now that we've had this whole pandemic, Hollywood is shut down? Has that been more of a benefit for more independent guys like yourself?
1: I would say yes and no. I lean more on the yes side for two reasons. One, COVID, when they shut everything down, nobody was really making anything. So you have all of these digital platforms. You have all the Netflixes. You have all the Amazon. Pro- they need inventory. They're like a grocery store. If you don't have inventory, we don't have anything to show. We're not making any money. Right. So if you have, and this is where the yes and no, um, if you have a good digital camera that shoots at 4K, uh, you've got good actors, good lighting, uh, good editor, good director. Before COVID, if you were an independent guy, you still had – an outlet, but there were so many competitors because everybody with a 4K camera thinks they're a director. Guess what? I can edit. I'm not an editor. I am not an editor. I can't tell the story. I need somebody else. But everybody with a camera thinks, okay, I'm a director, photographer. I'm a director, and you saturate the market with. I'll go ahead and say it, a bunch of crap because I've produced crap, but you learn from it. So now that COVID is over, and you still have a need for it hopefully indie guys like me have taken the time to hone their skill, improve their skill, and do what they do, but don't try to wear every hat. Uh, yeah, because there's a great market for independent films right now. Great market.
0: One thing that we've done a couple of movie reviews and everything on here, with me and my co-host, and there was a topic that's come up, especially since some of your major, as I hold up, you know, quotation marks like dr evil from austin powers yeah. <laughs> you got warner brothers going strictly to opening it up in theaters plus on their hbo max app you've got disney plus going right. on where they they tried the milan experiment that in my opinion backfired
1: backfired bad
0: do you think that with covid going down like it did and i know we're moving past it now but there's been some precedents set do you think that the theaters are going to come back as we used to know them because i used to love going to the movie theaters to watch a movie
1: uh, see no but it's not about covid though covid is going to be kind of a crutch that they use but no 5 years ago my, i've been with my director of photography for 20 years he directed dp my first movie so we talk about this stuff all the time. Five years ago, we started seeing the decline of the theater. People just aren't going. Um, if you're under 30, you're not probably going out. If you're under 25, you're definitely not going out to a movie. That's just not the thing because people like that instant access. They don't want to get out and do the whole thing. So, yeah, it's going down. Uh, in America, it's just the only thing that's going to happen in America is your is your your Captain Americas, your Tom Cruise big-budget box office those are still going to do well because they still cater to those people that want to go see it on the big screen. But if you're looking at a movie like Dazed and Confused or Clerks or anything like that, you just can't because the distributor has to put money into showing it uh, on the screens. Okay. That costs them money because they're basically renting screens. Then you have to have somebody come in with what's called P&A money, print and advertising is what they used to call it, but now it's just P&A and that's just your trailers. You've got to have somebody that's going to pay to put trailers on TV or wherever so people can watch and oh I don't want to go see this movie. So everything's costing money that you're not getting money back on. But when you can do your deliverables to one person or one company and say, okay, we're gonna put you in a few theaters out of our own pocket, but we're also going to make sure it gets uh, onto Netflix. Guess what? Now you just have you don't have any digital prints that you have to put in screens, they just download it. And it simplifies everything. So that was going away before COVID. COVID is now going to be a crutch. And again, you're just going to see your superhero movies, your big budget movies, maybe an Oscar movie because Oscars requirement, the Academy's requirements are at least one week consecutively. It used to be L.A., but I think now it can be anywhere, but it has to be a theater. Now with COVID, they're just saying you just get it out there so the public can see it and you qualify for an Oscar. Right. So yeah, COVID is changing everything, but it was going it was it was going that road anyway.
0: I hate that, but at the same time I can understand it. I'm almost 40. So I I grew up going to the theater all the time. I I enjoy the convenience of the apps, but the apps they don't have the same vibe. It's kind of like watching a sports game to me on TV versus and I'm an Alabama fan. Roll Tide.
1: There you, there you go. Okay. <laughs>
0: I can watch an Alabama game on TV and be happy, but it's not the same as going to what I call the cathedral of college football. That would be one Bryant-Denny stadium and being around 101,000 of your friends.
1: Exactly. Because it's a brotherhood.
0: Exactly. Uh, You know, it just feels like a completely different experience and I'll be honest with you. I miss it.
1: Yep. Same here. Same here.
0: Walk us through the process of how you were able to, come up with your film, create your film, and then be able to get it on a platform like Amazon?
1: The first thing in a perfect world you want to do is you want to get somebody that's bankable in your film. And by bankable means, are my investors going to get a return on their investment? Are the distributors going to say, hey, this guy's been in enough movies, he's going to make X amount of dollars. They also look at what your film is about because horror films do really well. And you don't have to have anybody in a horror film. You just make a horror film. People get scared. People make money because they're going to watch it. Right. Uh, so what I did, I was like talking talk to Judy. It's like, who can we get? We need somebody with a decent name in this, but it's also a story-driven project, not necessarily a lead, a main actor. So Jordan Jude was the first person that auditioned for Emily, the wife, and she was so amazing. I didn't even have to look at the others, but I did. Uh, so I went with her. She had a decent name, and then when we got Randy as the lead, we knew that Randy been in a lot of other movies. Uh, ironically, when my kids were in our youth department in church, when they were younger, they went to go see one of Randy's movies that he was the lead in, in a faith-based movie. So he had he has he has enough clout, enough name, but we knew the military film, especially one about veteran suicide, would do well. So once we raised the money for it, we knew that we had an outlet that is going to sell. And we start while we're producing the film on the front end. This is if any independent filmmakers are listening: this is what you guys need to hear. Get your distribution up front. Does not mean hey, here's my letter of intent from the distributor? We want to we want to um, distribute your film, but but it almost is that easy because when they found out that Judy Norton was in it. Judy's last film was picked up by a couple of people, including Walmart. So her distributor sent me a letter and said, we like your story. We like who's in it. We like that Judy's in it. We picked up her last one. It did well for us. We're interested in this one. So always make those phone calls up front. And that's what people don't understand. That's what I learned by the, you asked earlier about the Nicolas Cage films. This is what I learned is they're doing this up front. They're not making a movie and then picking up the phone and hoping it sells. (laughs) And then a lot of people think, well, I'm going to sell my movie at a film festival. I know, No, you're not. You're not going to sell your movie at a film festival. It doesn't work that way. Maybe 4% of all movies at Cannes got picked up. Film festivals are placed in network. That's all it is. You have sales agents that want to sell your film because that's how they make their money. So I called my sales agent and I said, here's a movie we're doing. This is who's in it. He says, I want to sell this for you when it's over. He wanted to handle the worldwide, and then I had a distributor for the um, the states. It's divided North America and then the rest of the world. So now I have it in North America, and we're working on the world uh Worldwide, it did well, and this is why you want the festivals. I have to make sure I correct myself. You want the festivals because if you can say your film was in Toronto or Berlin or Cannes or Sundance or whatever, then your buy your seller is going to be wow. It's been in those four major festivals. These do well when we try to sell because these are the major festivals. So when buyers, distributors, when, when distributors say, Wow, it went to those festivals, we know it's going to do well, then they'll make you an offer. Then you have to give them the deliverables. So to answer your question, you just you want to you don't want to do the garbage in, garbage out. You want to do all your prep work up front from casting to who your dp is, who your director is, what the lighting is going to look like, uh, to what who your editor is going to be and what the whole final piece is cuz you want to give them um, the best that you have. I can say it this way. If I were to build a house that I wanted to sell make the biggest profit on, <coughs> I would find a market where those houses are selling for the most and then I would find the right people to build the house. And that's and that's all it is. It's not it's not hard by any means. But I think you just need a lot of a lot of experience, or be around people with a lot of experience.
0: What's next for Steve Moon?
1: <laughs> What's next for Steve Moon? Well, we have a movie called Ocean that we were bored. Do I say that that we were bored? We were bored, <laughs> and there was a, it was it was again Joe Walker, my director of photography, and I'm like, what can we film? Let's let's go shoot something, and we had no script. Whatsoever, We just knew that we had two actresses and I'm like, look, what if we filmed a movie on a boat and y'all are stranded on a boat in the middle of the ocean. We call it ocean. You don't know where you are. You don't know how you got there. We're working backwards now. You don't know how you got there. There's no phone. There's no keys. There's no gas. There's food everywhere in the boat. It's like a 36 foot yacht uh, and you wake up and you just don't know how you got there. But all you remember is a little hungover. And last night you went to a club and you met some seedy guys so from there, we are like, oh, this is great. So I call my friend. Um, I won't say his name. He may get mad if I say it because people be calling him asking for money. But he had a little bit of money. And he said, let me be in the film. I'm like, okay, we'll make you, let you be in the film if you'll you know, pay for us to go down there and make the movie. So he gets us a boat. We filmed with a boat for two 12-hour long days off of Orange Beach. He plays one of the guys. You don't know if he's the bad guy or the good guy. And then I knew a friend that wanted to be in the movie business that knew a friend that had a restaurant. So now we have the bar that we can film in. There so you we go. Movie. About 45 minutes of the movie is the girls trying to survive and figure out how they're going to get back to civilization and what they're doing stranded on a boat. Ocean is doing well in the festivals overseas. Apparently people in the Mediterranean love scantily clad. Not even said there's some bikinis, but they love bikini women, of America and American movies and so now it's looking like it's selling better overseas than my local because they just people love American movies for one overseas but this one was just so simple uh that's so we did ocean we just did a movie and if you're almost 40 I'm 50 if you remember the movie um Streets of Fire with Michael Perret or Eddie and the Cruisers with Michael Perret
0: loved both Eddie and the cruiser movies.
1: Hey, shout out to Michael Perret. If he's listening. Um,
0: absolutely. I love your work.
1: Oh, well, you love him. He's phenomenal. My partner in LA is Michael Henderson. And he's like, do you have anything Michael Perret could do? And I'm like, I actually have a movie called 3.3 miles that we can film in Birmingham about a retired history teacher. Who's, Wife called 911 uh, because there was an intruder in the house, but the police didn't get there in time. And so now, fast forward a year, the teacher is so mentally strung out now over the memory of his wife that he's finding the detective that was working the case for his wife and he's abducting women and he's giving the police time to get to the place where these women are that happened to be 3.3 miles from the police station. Because his house was 3.3 miles from the police station, but the police didn't get there until like 17 minutes later. So he blames the police for everything. But it's really good. It's not like one of these we hate cops, because I don't hate cops. I love cops. This is more of a, wow, you've lost your mind, and you end up feeling for this guy. You really end up, you don't hate the police by any means. You feel sorry for the system. Because at the end of the movie, I won't say how it ends, but at the end of it, it all culminates with them together. And you really don't want anything bad to happen to him because you can sympathize with what he's feeling, but right. you can also see the cops aren't perfect. We're not perfect human beings. We're trying everything that we can. So let's, let's fix this now. So it's a good movie. He was in it. And after this, I'm trying to raise the money for a movie called heaters because I, I like the fun stuff, but I'm more of a serious person. Cause I, I like, You're never going to change the world, but if you can change one person, that's all that matters, and then you can help. A heater is this. I've been working with the Chicago Task Force for about the past year. A heater is a young child, usually a girl between 12 and 13 years old, that literally in real time right now is online with a guy that's trying to put her into the industry. The police are watching them online having their conversation because... That happens all the time. There's undercover uh, in every city, I'm sure. So I got with them, and they're called heaters. And it's if we don't put the heat on this girl within the next two or three hours, this nasty 25-year-old guy (coughs) that's preying on her is going to abduct her. And the statistics statistics show that if you don't get her out within that first year, she'll never live to see 19 years old. And every time I see on the Internet or on the news – Fifteen-year-old girl from Jasper missing. Seventeen-year-old girl from Montevallo missing. You're in the trade, and you can't get out of it because there's no way to get out of it. So working with them and Interpol, and we're trying to do a movie with Judy Norton and Chris Smallnights called Heaters, because um, that's going to be because you got you have to raise awareness. And my platform is film, obviously, but um, the Heaters is the next big one that we're working on.
0: I'm looking forward to seeing that one. Absolutely. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Well, you're, be the because the you're
0: you're right. That that subject needs to be talked about more. It really does. Especially with the way it seems like anytime they add a new interstate 22. It makes it worse. I mean it is the way it is, because they're not gonna they're not gonna travel up two lane state roads, but you no. anytime you put in an interstate, you can sit there and watch those numbers just skyrocket.
1: It's ridiculous, and the fact that they know about it, this is what bothered me so much. I already knew that I twenty from Atlanta to New Orleans was bad. Oh. What I didn't know was that Super Bowl weekend is the biggest sexually trafficked weekend in in the United States. It's it's huge. It just it's it's frustrating because there's so much that people can do. Whether it's you know helping somebody with depression or exposing somebody that's doing something, and I think people today are so afraid to speak. I'm, I'll say this, a shout out to my mom. My mom, my biggest critic, my biggest fan. She'll be the first one to throw me under the bus. But guess what? You didn't throw me under the bus. I did. You just told everybody about it.
0: Proud mama's boy, ain't you, brother?
1: Oh, man. We used to fight like cats and dogs. After my divorce in 04, I moved back in. with her. she kicked me out on Christmas Day? Said, get out of my house. That's my mom kicking me out. I'm like, where am I going? I got nowhere to go. So, um, but when you do wrong, wrong is wrong. And I'm so sick and tired. Like you have all these parents and then parents in school, oh, my kid didn't do that or not my kid. And they're saying that about their representative. Oh, not my representative. And guess what? Yeah, your representative's crooked. You know, your politicians are crooked. I don't care if you lean left or right or wherever, please call out your own party before you call out mine. Cause I'll do that. I'll call out mine before anybody else's. Because wrong is wrong and right is right.
0: Right. How can we stay in touch with your, cur- with your current projects and how can we support you?
1: I set up um, a Facebook called New Moon Film, like my last name, New Moon Films. I really don't know how you find that one on Facebook, but you can find me, Steve Moon, and a picture of my eldest daughter with her arms around me. Uh, I went to UAB. You can see that. Um, Or you can find Out of the Fight. I do a lot of posting on the Out of the Fight. New Moon Films just kind of shows what movies I'm working on and behind-the-scenes photos. Personally, when you see my stuff, you're going to see me on Friday night or Sunday night on my grill out here on the patio. Entertaining family that can't watch me because of COVID or we can't. They used to come over and they can't, so they watch me on Facebook uh, but out of the fight, if you start with that or find me on Facebook, have any questions, shoot me a message. I, I live at work literally by my phone. I'm glued to it, but not because I'm glued to it. I'm not at it. I just, you know, you have people in India and you have people in LA and everywhere in between, you know, it's just part of the job.
0: He's a very entertaining follow on Facebook. I was able to watch some of your, your fireside chats. We can call it that way. That was some good stuff. <laughs>
1: Man, I told you I'm an independent, but I will, you know, I'm a what would Jesus do person, and you know what, Trump's not the savior, but guess what, Trump's not Satan either. So people need to get over that, you know. Right. Exactly. I, I like the way I like the way my past four years lifestyle was. You know, it's not necessarily about money, but you know, I drive uh, an '89 Bronco is one of my toys. She gets 11 miles to the gallon. I enjoyed for four years. Having that Bronco, but now I'm back in my Jeep again. So. Yeah,
0: it hurts putting spending two dollars and fifty cents a gallon on one, especially when you're driving a four wheel drive GMC Sierra.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Ooh, it's rough. Yeah, exactly.
1: So I'm back in the inline six Grand Cherokee, and I'm not complaining, but it's not as fun as you know your toys.
0: I'm thinking awful seriously about seeing if my fat tail can fit in a smart car. <laughs>
1: All right, Michael Henderson, if you're listening out in L.A., tell him about your smart car because he's wanting to drive from L.A. to here, and he's like, oh, yeah, $67 because it's a smart car. Like, go away. It takes me $67 to go one week. <laughs> but, yeah, this drive and the gas, it's, yeah, it's going to get worse.
0: That's what I'm worried about. It's going to get a whole lot worse before it gets better.
1: Yeah, That's a whole podcast right there.
0: Yes, sir, it is. <laughs> Steve Moon, I appreciate you reaching out and coming on to the show. You are a uh, the show you're on out. Anytime you want to come on, sir, you are more than welcome.
1: Man, I appreciate that. And I'm sorry about my dogs, but uh, there's a neighbor obviously walking their dog. and they get, they get excited, and they're fine now. But, yeah, no, it's an honor. As I, I enjoyed every minute of it, and I appreciate it. And,
0: Big thanks to Steve Moon for coming on the porch. Once again, go check his movie out. It's called Out of the Fight. I found it on Amazon Movies. He also mentioned you could find it on YouTube. You could also find him on Facebook by typing in his name, Steve Moon, or New Moon Films, or Out of the Fight in your search bar. Leave him a comment saying you heard him on Porch Matters. Maybe something has been said on this show that has had a positive impact on your life. Maybe all this show is to you right now is something decent to listen to for your drive back and forth to work. If this show has been a positive addition to your life, I ask that you please give the show a positive rating and leave a review on whatever platform it is that you're listening to us on. It won't take you but a minute, and it really would help the show out. For those of you who are new to this show and you like what you hear, hit that subscribe or follow button and download the episodes in our archives. Please share your favorite episodes with your friends and family on social media. Find us on social media by typing Ports Matters in the search bar. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. There are a lot of people walking around this world that have never heard of a podcast before. They might only find out about it because of you. Thank you very much for listening and you can catch us next time right here on Forge